So this is the handout right here. Um, the question to start out with here is this, to think about, okay? How is the commitment we make to other people at church different from other commitments that we make in life? How is the commitment we make to, to other how is the commitment we make to other people at church different from other commitments we make in life? That's kind of what we're talking about is relationships, you know, relationships in the church, relationships, uh, how they interact in the church. Last week, we basically just talked about uh, unity. It was kind of an introduction to, to the next 13 weeks of our core seminar class. Really, it's all about unity in the church and relationships in the church. And last week, we talked about how it was God's plan to uh, be glorified in the church. And our church is made up of people who we're all limited in knowledge and in limited in love, limited in patience. We have different personalities, different hopes, different backgrounds, different ways of communicating, different priorities. And you mix all those different things together, and what do you have? Usually you have a lot of trouble, right? You have a lot of disagreements and fights and stuff. But because of the power of the gospel, we get to corporately proclaim God's glory. That's what last week was all about. Well, how does this happen? It has to happen through supernatural means. It has to happen through something that's outside of ourselves impacting our relationships with one another. And that commitment that we look at is, uh, like I said last week, there's two different ways that I, I look at this commitment. And by the way, um, a lot of the information, a lot of, I was helped by a lot of this, um, like in... Uh, the book Compelling Community is a, was a really good book that I read that I was just really excited about how, and the picture of this book is like a magnet and how like because of the gospel, the power of the gospel, we're like magnetically drawn together and compelled. Like it's just like a, uh, a way to look at the church is, is what we're going to be talking about today is there's two different ways. There's the breadth, like the how wide our relationships are because of the church, and that's what we're going to talk about next week, and then how deep relationships are that we have in the church. And that's what we're talking about this week. So it's like deep and wide, deep and wide. There's the breadth and there's the depth. <laughs> and um, today we're going to be considering the depth of commitment. And so, like I said, I, I kind of wish uh, I had copies of our church covenant together because in a way, this is a lot like a membership class that we're going to be doing today. So you might say, well, I'm already a member, so this class isn't for me, right? See you later. I'm going to go get some donuts. No. I mean, that's, that's not, I mean, we're going to get a little bit further into this and understand uh, what membership is and how this is different than other types of commitments that you, may, you might make in life and other types of relationships you might make in life because I want us to ha have a better understanding of church membership. You know, I want us to have deeper relationships, and that's what we're talking about today. So um, the distinction that in your outline that we're going to be drawing here is the difference between comfort-based commitment and calling-based commitment. So that's Roman numerals 2 and 3 in your outline. Commitment uh, is something that our world understands. We all understand, we all understand commitment. Um, some of us, you know, are Pirates fans. And this is one of those times where it's like, why? Why would you be a Pirates fan, right? All right, some of us are Steelers fans, and we understand commitment to being a, a fan of our favorite sports team. In fact, uh, I told somebody Friday I was going to go to, um, in May, we're going to Holden Beach and, this, and close to Myrtle Beach. And the person said, oh, there's a Steelers bar down there you should check out. 
because they know it's like wherever you go in the country, right, there's a Steelers bar because they're all co- committed to the Steelers that you want to go hang out with people like yourself. You know, you're hang- you go to the beach and you see Steelers flags flying far, far away from home because people are committed to their team. They're committed to their sports team. Some people are committed to uh, their operating systems like on their phone. I'm, a, I'm an Apple fanboy, you know. That's one of the sayings that, that camp comes up because people – they understand commitment and what they like. And not only that, so it might start out something small like, oh, you know, um, you, if you've never used an Apple computer, and all of a sudden you use one, and you realize, oh, this is totally different, but you kind of like it. And it's just you get one foot in the door. And before you realize it, like, you've got an iPhone and a, a MacBook and then an Apple Watch and an iPad, and they all work together, and people start calling you a fanboy, you know what I'm saying? Because it's, it becomes all part of your life. And it's just like little by little, but... We understand that that's um, how it happens. You don't intend to become a fanboy, but the further you get in, the more attractive it is, and and all of a sudden you're in pretty deep. Well, considering that, you might think that a lot of Christians look at church in the same way, where a church begins to emphasize that they have no expectations, and they advertise churches. This is a great place to, to come and learn about morals, to educate your children, find community, feel catered to. Uh, where you can feel comfortable, where you can feel safe. And then you, you come and you, oh, I like this place. People are nice. The snacks are good. And then, oh, it's a great place to rate, to have kids, to meet friends. And then along the way, somewhere along the way, you, maybe you uh, meet other people that are like you. And you're like, oh, I've got friends at, at church now. And then in, eventually you might talk about membership. And then the, the point is, is that um, a few years in, you become committed to the church principally because you like it and it's it's kind of easy and that's an illustration of comfort-based commitment it works for consumer products and for the way most of us i don't say most but a lot of us look at church right it's consumer based commitment or comfort-based commitment and um so this model in view like i said it's kind of a commitment over time it's kind of like a process where you see the church community meeting your needs and so you become comfortable there and as you become more comfortable, then you commit more deeply. And so we smooth the path of into our churches, and we highlight the benefits of becoming more involved, and hopefully we can attract more people as consumers, and over time, then those people will become providers. And you see this idea of a comfort-based commitment as a process. It's marked by broad, general, nonspecific treatment of God's Word, and as you can imagine, it can often lead to fostering Christian witness that's very thin because because uh, that's what all you're looking for is making it easy to well to make it to uh, to make people feel comfortable and um, or like I said so that's some of the ways it plays out in product but also more importantly what we're talking about today is the church so um, any <laughs> any questions or comments about um, comfort-based commitment and what that looks like in a church or have you anybody ever experienced that So in the context of a local church, that is commitment as process, which you're talking about comfort-based commitment. Roman numeral three on your handout is calling-based commitment. Now, um, we don't need to vilify comfort-based commitment in general. It's natural when you go into any place to find people that are like you. It's natural to drift 
towards that which is easiest and most comfortable. However, that's not exactly what we should aspire to in our churches, right? Calling-based commitment is distinct because it's based on depth and richness that you don't necessarily have in a comfort-based commitment. It's not necessarily there. So let's look at some of the differences, um, the distinctive characteristics of calling-based commitment. The New Testament describes Christians as deeply committed to their local church and, and um in meaningful ways, sometimes painful, sometimes deliberate. Uh, actually, it is deliberate when you intentionally join a church. But look at 1 John. 1 John chapter 4, verses 19 through 20. It's right after Hebrews, which is where we're preaching from today. First John four nineteen through twenty. Ben, can you read that? No problem. First John four nineteen through twenty. So for John, love between believers is a sign of saving faith. So con contrast that with comfort-based commitment, and you see that the Bible calls us to love others, and comfort demands that we love ourselves and prioritizes our own preferences. Secondly, the distinctive is motivated by obedience to God. So an interesting diagnostic question to ask yourself is, is why do you come to church on Sunday? What motivates you to be here on Saturday to serve, or on Sunday to be here at church. Well, comfort-based commitment might point to personal, uh, social, or professional reasons. It might be a place to make contacts or, you know, start a business, you know, get your business off the ground or something like that. Well, calling-based commitment has obedience to God, and a delight in His church is one of the most important primary motivations for being here. And so, the motive of our community has to do with our faith in Christ, and our commitment here should look different than our commitment to the world. And our interactions here are different than our interactions at just a social club that doesn't necessarily have the gospel that's, that's the core of, of the organization. So calling-based commitment um, seeks unity in Christ and thrives with diversity and background. So that's the second reason how calling-based commitment is different than just comfort-based commitment. And the third reason is, is it causes relationships. Relationships. Um, like I said before, one of the ways you can look at church is to uh, just get everybody in as, 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 as much as you can to attract, and anything you can do, to attract people together. That's one way of doing things. And a lot of churches will take uh, what's called like the pragmatic approaches. Whatever it takes to get people in, whether it's like giving away prizes or doing whatever it takes to, to get people in the door. And that is, might have a good intention, but the issue is, is um, that what people always say, a, a phrase is what you, what you win them to is what you, um, what you win them with is what you're winning them to. So if you're winning people 
um, with a prize, then you're winning them to prizes, right? If there's like um, a great show, then that's what they're coming for is a great show. And if you re- all you want is for them to like be on a church softball team, and so they, we, I've seen this before. It's like, well, the church softball team requires that you be at a service. Well, then they're coming to church just, just to check off the box so nobody accuses them of being a ringer. But in reality, they're there for the church softball team, right? And again, there's nothing wrong with the church softball team. There's nothing wrong with those, with those clubs, like a quilting club or a lacrosse team at church or whatever. There's nothing wrong with that. But really, that's, that's not the purpose of doing church, isn't to have a bunch of small groups of people that are doing fun stuff together. Because you can get that anywhere, right? I mean, we were part of a kickball club in Chicago, and we played kickball at a city park. I didn't need to go to a, you know, I could go to that go to that city park for a kickball game. I didn't need to come to church for that. I was coming to church to worship God and to be a part of relationships that were deeper than what we had on the kickball field. And so you see what I'm saying? Like relationships are different when you look at it at a church as opposed to you look at it in the world there. And here's what's interesting is that uh, we want um, authentic relationships too. I mean, but... Strangely enough, it's the formality of membership that deep relationships are formed. Not that you can't have relationships with people that aren't members of the church, but um, practically speaking, when you're talking about everybody who's a member, it's, it's clearer for you as a member, like it, what First John just says, like who are you called to love? Who are you called to disciple? Who are you called to protect? Who are you called to initiate relationships with within the local church like uh you know you obviously have a a deeper commitment that's one of the things about our church covenant we we talk about we're committing to one another and so like at the very beginning when somebody talks about joining the church i always say well you know we believe that a person um through god's grace alone through faith alone a person is saved and they they're journeying with uh on two different they have Two different journeys, you know, one with God for the rest of your life and one with other people because no person or a Christian is never meant to be alone. No man is an island. Nobody is supposed to be on their own. You have to be with other people in order to grow. And so um, a church built around membership is different. It's obviously different because in a way it requires commitment up front. In other words, it's like, you know, we don't have a ton of members here, but like you look at um, when somebody wants to become a member, especially that person, um, they know some people, they don't know everybody, right? But they're committing to be a part of the church without knowing every little detail about every person's life that's already a member. And then as we see in scripture, you're called brothers and sisters. And it's kind of like, wow, like, I mean, we're brothers and sisters. Like it changes the relationship, right? Because you're committing to be a part of the body. And it's, it's better than just saying, well, show up to a place, and eventually you can start feeling like you're at home, and eventually you can start feeling like they're your family. Yes, we want that to come, but there's a commitment there to being part of the family of God whenever you join the church. I was at a church once um, a long time ago, and uh, they had this sharing time, and so, it was kind of a bigger church, and somebody got up and shared, uh, well, this is now, I've been here seven years, she said. I've been here seven years, and now I'm, I'm officially part of the church. And uh, I was kind of like, you have to go seven years before you can be officially a part of the church? And um, what had happened was the pastor one time said that it takes, I don't I think it was seven years. It was a long time, I remember. But the pastor one time said that it takes 
a certain length of time before somebody feels like they're apart. And it takes, like, I guess some study a long time ago said, like, seven years. And so she felt like she had to go for seven years before she felt like she was a part of the church. You see why if you don't have a clear um, distinction, meaningful membership, now somebody feels like they're never going to be a part of the church. She felt like she was never really part of the in crowd until, like, massive amounts of time had passed. Where when we look at this, um, we look at, uh, like I said, calling-based commitment happens up front before you really know the people in a church very well. And authentic relationships um, can be found at church because that's what we are called to. So what I'm saying is is that we need to um, stop viewing church commitment as a process and start viewing it as an event. Stop viewing church commitment as a process and start viewing it as an event. The event is our salvation, and commitment is something that inevitably follows. And that doesn't necessarily mean that you have to make all your commitments all up front. Like, you come to church, you know, and you come. I mean, you could look us online. You could see what we believe and say, okay, I really believe, like, this is a good church. And it's not, you know, it's not too far. It's, you know, and you come, and you're like, okay, people here are pretty normal. So, like, it could not be that long right before you join a church and, but you're not like, again, your heart might not all be in there. There's always room for growth, I'm saying, right? But you know, like, I know I'm called to be a part of this church. So um, I want to join the church. Just like I said, you, you make a commitment to Christ, and you know that Christ is calling you to give your life to him, but you don't really know all that means, right, up front. You don't really realize the commitment that you're making up front. But you know where you, what you know, and you know you want to be with Jesus Christ. You know he died for you, right? And that's what's most important. And, you, and like I said, so when you learn from Scripture and from God teaching you, okay, I need to be a part of a church. Like this is really important. In fact, this is vitally important to my Christian walk. Well, then you join a church, and there's growth from there, but you know you're on the right path. And um, we, we want to take that seriously. We want to take that, that commitment not lightly, right? Yeah. Yeah, that's a good point. Hmm? It wasn't yours? Oh. Um, just for people watching at home, she said uh, you get married and you get the title husband. And it takes your whole life to really grow into what that means. Um, actually, I was going to mention that a little bit later, which is fine. I'll bring it up now. But it's true, yeah. And there's a lot of things, right? I mean, like, I look at um, one of you, you, Leah's uncle who said that he's made three commitments in life. Remember that? Commitment to three promises. Um, one, to be a husband. One, to be a, a follower of Christ. And the other, to be um, a, a Marine or in the Army. 
three vows. You, you don't remember that? It was during our um, marital counseling. And um, people who join the military, right? Same thing. They join the military. I'm going to sign up. And then you're in, right? And you don't know what all that means, right? But it's like if you sign on the guideline line for two years or for four years or whatever, um, unless you're dishonorably discharged, you are in. And then you're part of the community. Like everybody always says, once a Marine, always a Marine, right? You're, you're part of the brotherhood when you're a part of that. It's the same as, uh, you know, um, and you look out for each other. There's that kind of commitment. I like, I've been learning a lot as a firefighter of kind of the same thing. Like when I was doing my firefighter school, a guy said, I was in the military, I got out, I missed the brotherhood, and I, I want to join the fire ranks. And a lot of brotherhood in the fire department. Um, but again, there is depth there, but there's not depth like there should be in the church, right? And the older we are, the more we grow in our understanding of our commitment, of our commitment that God calls to, we see it like there's a benefit, and then we realize that our relationships with our brothers and sisters in Christ goes deeper than anything, because we get to be with each other forever in heaven. That's exciting. Well, um, Roman numeral four is commitment that is significant, and we've kind of been touching on this already in our discussions here. Some of the basic component components of this commitment that we've been talking about. So, like, what does it look like to have boots on the ground there? There's some verses, if uh, some people want to look up the verses here. We'll start with Romans 12, 13 to 16. Can somebody look up Romans 12, 13 to 16? I like this one. Okay, thanks, Tom. You're going to read it. So um, what we're talking about here is commitment that is sacrificial. And so uh, if we, like, for example, like um, if something, if I lose a, a job, you know, or like a church member loses a job, I should be able to um, be sad with that person. Or, you know, let's say, like, we can't get pregnant, but somebody else does. We should be able to rejoice with them. We should be able to weep with those who weep and rejoice with those who rejoice. And that can be really difficult um, because, it, I mean, that's hard to do, right? It's called empathy. When you, get, when you put yourself in somebody's other shoes emotionally, that's empathizing with where they're coming from. We should be able to give our money, our time, and our home to care for other people in the church simply because we are God's people together. And loving this way that we are called to do in the book of Romans isn't for some elite group of Christians. It's for every, it's basically what it means to be a Christian. It's to have sacrificial love for one another. Uh, next is Romans ten twenty five. Somebody read that. I mean uh, Hebrews ten twenty five. Sorry. Okay. So it's a commitment to gather together, to be a Christian is to join with other Christians on a regular basis. The author of Hebrews, again, it's not a separate category of Christian, what he's talking about here. This is what it means to be a Christian. And then the verse right before that, verse 24, says, 
uh, is a commitment to encourage one another. Working off that same, those two things go together, verses 24 and 25. Consider how we may stir one another on to love and good works. Something that clearly is supposed to take place with verse 25 when we gather together as Christians. So an encouragement in the book of Hebrews is that, it, again, when we gather together, this is why we don't like... As soon as church is over, just shut off the lights and say, everybody leave, you know, or we encourage people to be here before or after church. And it's not just um, hi, bye, but we want to have an encouragement of one another. And it's hard to, and it's, you know, it's hard to do that if you're just, I used to be like this where I'd try to get in and get out and be done with church um, or not even wanting to gather together, like it says in verse 25, but to allow yourself to be encouraged and allow yourself to be an encourager of other people. Next uh, week, we're going to be preaching the second half, Hebrews chapter 3, and it talks about how an encouragement is an antidote to unbelief, and we need each other for our own, for each other's spiritual well-being in order to help one another. And then number four, the commitment to guard one another. Can somebody read Matthew 18, 15 to 18? Mike's got it. Yeah, that's good. So in other words, he says, put the person out of the church. So the final barrier to self-deception in the world is the local church. And so um, it's interesting, too. What does this say? The, the, this authority isn't, first of all, it's not saying um, go tell your pastor or elders and they will go address the person. It says you go address the person, take another brother with you, and if they won't listen, take it to the church. And then again, notice the final authority there is the church is the one that's putting them out of the church. It's not like it's saying, um, uh, you know, the elders or the pastor or the bishop or the pope or, or the priest is going to put him out of the church, but go tell it to the church. And that's one of the reasons why we think church membership is really important because it's a responsibility as a whole. It's a responsibility individually in order to help guard one another's faith. And that's part of the commitment that we make to one another when we all become church members is to encourage one another, strengthen one another, and guard one another's faith in that way. And in so doing, we are also guarding the testimony of the witness of Christ. We're, we're guarding the, the gospel message that other people are proclaiming. And again, the responsibility in the New Testament is that there's the, there's the church uh, aspect of it. It's verses like this that have really made me understand the importance of church membership because I've been in places that didn't value church membership. Um, but it's like you read a verse like this, and uh, and it's like, well, if you just include regular tender along with the title with the office of church member, then everything is very vague. In fact, um, the lines get blurred a lot when you're talking about, like, voting for – uh, the new budget, or voting for a bylaw change, or voting for elders in the church. Uh, if you just say everybody who's a regular tenor can vote, then the, instantly the question is, well, what do you mean by regular? Like once a month, every week, a couple times a year, 
so then like you see how the lines just get completely blurred and when when you're talking about well who's a part of the church and who's not a part of the church it, it can be very confusing and that can cause a lot of division in the long run that you don't see when you're trying to say um when you when i say it just can cause a lot of confusion so yeah um well Well, well, exactly. Um, well, I'll address it not um, – this question was, is what if you have members that attend spotily, right? Um, if a person – let's say we're not in the pandemic. Um, if a person is a member and they don't show up to church um, for a long time, then first of all, if somebody else is a member and, lo- and says, hey, this person's a member – um, an elder or a member, first of all, should reach out to them. And if they don't want to, then uh, elders should reach out to them and say, hey, this is, you know, you really need to be at church. This is for your own spiritual benefit. And then if they just say, you know what, it's not for me, well, then they should be removed from the church membership. Um, that's a good question, though. And it's, uh, it's one of the thing, reasons why we're talking about unity now, because with uh, the situation in the world, there's a lot of division. I mean, politically and mass, no mask and everything. It, it just, there's a lot of, I want us as a church to really work on being unified and trying to um, help everybody wherever they're at, you know, like help everybody uh, and not to let divisions separate the church like divisions are separating our world into pieces. So I want to really try us to, to pray and to work for the unity and the, and the, the, the bond of the spirit that the scripture tells us to. So commitment that, that's what we want, is commitment, uh, is commitment that is significant and meaningful membership. And then, Roman numeral five, com- the commitment that is formal. Again, like I said, I, I think it's it's m- more beneficial to have formalized membership than, it, I mean, I think, it's not just what I think, it's what I believe scripture teaches here. Our scripture, I believe scripture does call us to formalize it. And I'll tell you what, I, I have, uh, I've really grown in my understanding of church membership um, because I've been in churches where with a lot of people who didn't want to become members of churches. A lot of people that I looked up to and respected in their Christian walk, people older than me, and um, I was working at a church, and I would go to this person and say, hey, why are you, aren't you a member? You know, how come you're not a member? And um, I'd have some really, it was really hard because I really liked them and respected them. I just wanted to figure out what was going on, and I didn't have such a solid uh, belief like I do now of the importance of meaningful church membership. And they were just like, oh, no, no. And they were there all the time. They gave, they served, they were always there. And I'm always like, well, why don't you become a member? Oh, I don't need that. I don't need that, you know. Uh, uh. Like, because they had been burned in the past. And they were just like, no, no, not doing that. Not going to be a member. Um, and I was always, like, torn. I, like, I didn't know how to respond. I didn't, like, I was just kind of like, well, I don't understand why you're not a member. I just couldn't figure it out, you know. And then I couldn't, 
I would say like, well, well, look what it says here. I mean, um, like in First uh, Corinthians chapter five, verses twelve to thirteen. For what have I do to do with judging outsiders? Is it not those inside the church whom you are to judge? God judges those outside. And so it's like, well, well, there's another verse. It's like we have a responsibility inside the church. So where are you? You know, you're in, you're, you're in, you're not in, you're out, you're, you're not out. Like, I don't even know where you're at. I think there needs to be a separating line between those who are inside the church and those who are outside the church. On one side of that line, those who are believers, they submit to the, the church. On the other side, you might come, you might give, you might serve, but there's no commitment. And the different ways of looking at it is some people today say you should have a church that is, uh, is defined by the center, by what we believe. And we need to draw people into the center. Wherever they're at, we just want them to come closer. The other way of looking at it is a boundary-defined community. Instead of obsessing over who is in and who is out, you just uh, teach people and encourage people. And then um, you, you don't need to like have a boundary to say who's in and who's out. But again, I'll tell you another reason that I just thought of is when I think of the Old Testament, like the Jewish people, there was always a distinct line between who was a part of the people of God and who wasn't. There was always rules for who was a part and who wasn't. There was always a line. There was always a boundary marker. And like I said, when I read the New Testament, it almost like there, it, there assumes there's going to be a boundary marker. It doesn't have to say there needs to be formalized church membership. Whether you call it members, and like I've said before, I know a pastor who calls it, we don't have church members. And I was like, oh, well, how do you operate? Well, we have partners. And what does a partner do? Well, a partner commits to being at church and giving and serving. I said, oh, well, we just call that church membership. It sounds just like us. But he didn't want to call it church membership because of all the negative connotations, so he called it church partners. But I'm saying it doesn't matter what you call it. The, church, the Bible, the New Testament, assumes that there is a line between who's a part of the church and who's not a part of the church. And... Again, Hebrews is a good one that, that Tom has mentioned before. The Bible like, says we are to submit to our leaders in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 17. Well, and if you're not a member, then uh, who, what leader are you submitting to? It says in the book of Hebrews chapter 13 that the, past, that, that, uh, the, the pastor has to give an account for your life. Well, who am I responsible for as a pastor? Right? Am I responsible for every Christian that's walking out on the sidewalk who calls himself a Christian but won't formalize their membership or won't even regularly attend or who won't become who won't even go to church? I, I don't think so. I'm only responsible for the people that are members. Um, yeah. I think so. Um, no. Were you, were you, you said the question was, were you a member just because you were in the community? Oh, yeah, because you weren't going to be, um, you're talking about the, like the first century and second century? Yeah, I think, here's what I think. Um, I think it was, there wasn't a cultural of Christianity. So the culture was the Roman Empire, right? 
to be a Christian meant you were going to be different in how you worshipped and that you wouldn't bow down to Caesar and then your lifestyle sexually. Like, your life was going to be markedly different as a Christian. And so, you, and then another thing is you weren't going to be traveling to the other town to go to church. So you were going to gather with the believers where you lived. And it wasn't going to be a large group. You know, it was smaller towns, and then it was not much travel. So, like, you were going to be with the other Christians in your location. Does that make sense? Yeah. And I look at it like, um, from what I've read and studied about the first and second century Rome, and uh, what I've read about that takes place like in the Middle East, which, well, you know what? They were in the Middle East, right? In Turkey, that was the Middle East um, back then, just like I say, or in like an Asian country or something like that, is that uh, like you could confess Christ. Confessing Christ was a big deal, and um, getting baptized was your, like your mark of being a part of the new community. So like you weren't going to just be a regular attender at a church, right? It was too much danger. There was too much there was too much sacrifice that needed to be made because there was no culture of Christianity. So you were going to and then yeah, you would become a member. But go ahead. No. I no, in fact, so another thing is is that, remember the New Testament letters, there were people that, that weren't really Christians, that were weeds, right? They, you thought they were part of uh, the flock, but they weren't really a part of the flock. Remember, it says, I think it said First John, it says, so-and-so left from us because they weren't really a part of us. So they were people in the church who pretended to be Christians, but they were wolves in sheep's clothing. And so, even, even there, these encouragements here, I mean, why does Paul say, don't neglect meeting together as some are in the habit of doing? Right? So some were in the habit of not, of not meeting together. And then submit to your elders, right? Submit to your leaders. Why was he giving so many instructions? Or in Hebrews chapter 3, uh, the whole book of Hebrews chapter, or chapter of Hebrews chapter 3, but like there's, there's, there's lots of encouragement. Um, like don't drift away, right? Encourage one another. And, and like Hebrews was uh, meant for gatherings of Christians. So... I don't know whether how it was formalized. That's where somebody tried to tell me, like, because uh, I used the example in Acts. Well, they had a list of widows to take care of those who were part of the church. And they're like, oh, that's a list of widows. That's not a list of church members. I was like, okay, but it was a list. They had to make some kind of a list, right? So obviously they kept track of something. They kept track of finances and who was needed and who was a widow. So they kept track of something, right? You have to have members to have a nonprofit. You, you can ask a question. No, it's not. like right I think you're right
Right, different cultures, yeah. Bill? Right, but that was after 325 when Christianity became legal. That's when everything changed, right, after Constantine. So, um, and like what Ben was saying, the beautiful thing about God's word is it's, it's useful, and the gospel is useful whether Christianity is legal or not legal, right? And remember, no matter what, like Leah was saying, no matter what, um, every organization is going to have structure. Every organization is going to be organized somehow, Right? There's always rules, written or unwritten, with every group of people. So, like, we can say, why are there, why are we structured in this way? Well, it's going to be structured, isn't it? It's, or it's not going to be structured. It's like when we all came through here, we all came through the door. That You know, why didn't we all come through the window? Oh, we just decided to come through the door today. You know, there's always a way of doing things. It's because we do things. It's the way we do stuff. You know what I mean? Like, there's always, there's always going to be a structure of something. You know, like the people who say, well, our church is no creed but Christ, right? Well, that's a creed, you know? You're always going to believe something. I don't believe there is a God. Well, that's your belief then, right? Your belief is not a God. It's like somebody says, I don't, I have, I don't believe in a God. And somebody doing evangelism, they say, well, how long have you had that belief? Like, I don't believe in belief. Your belief is no belief. You know what I mean? So there's always going to be an organization of some kind. Um, yeah. Go ahead.
Right, Ben you, is really addressing the next section. Practically speaking, you, you're getting into the practicalities. Like, practically speaking, what does it look like? And like you guys were saying, um, Alexis and Leah were saying, um, when the harder it is to be a Christian, you know, the easier it is to know who's in and who's out. So the more persecution you have, the, the clearer it is. And I've, I've heard that saying before. What if um, there was somebody with a clipboard at the door and they were saying, what's your name when you come into church? What's your name? Like, where do you live? Like, what's your name? What's your address? What's your telephone number? We, and they were keeping track. I mean, we were just talking yesterday, Phil and I, about the pastor who was arrested in Canada, and that's what they did. They went to the, they came into the church with the, the department. And what if there was a fee? And they said, you want to come in here? You want to, you have to pay a health tax. And you've got to pay a health fee to come in the door here. Would you still come? So, or would you give your name and your number and your address? And, or like, like they're happening in Canada, not very far away now. Um, the pastor is in jail. He was arrested in the middle of the night and taken from his family and uh, put on trial in darkness. And now he's locked up. And so now, what, if you're a church member in that church, do you show up? What if you have to pay a fee to the government every time you come to church? What if there's li like actual persecution? It's not far away physically from us right now. So what if that comes down? Now, now we're talking about commitment, where you become a church member or not. It's like, okay, like now we're really talking, this is, there's a cost. There's an actual cost to actually being here and we've seen Christians throughout church history said, I'm willing to pay that cost. John Bunyan spent years in jail, right? Because he would preach the gospel. And that pastor in Canada, they said, you can get out, you just promise you will never preach again, is what they told him, right? Phil knows. They pretty much said, you, you can get out of jail if you, if you promise not to preach. Exactly what they told John Bunyan. And that is literally right across the border in Canada right now, today. So, like, we need to be praying for our brothers and that are willing to preach the gospel and our Christians who and more and more like I said there is going to be a cost to following Christ and we need to encourage one another and strengthen one another uh, and, and this is where meaning membership is super meaningful so um, I think let me close with this is that what difference does it make first of all um, it formalizes what's an informal commitment I wanted to bring us back because Leah mentioned the marriage analogy, and the marriage analogy does fall short in a lot of ways, but it's also really helpful. Tim Keller talked about this in, um, in his book, uh, The Meaning of Marriage, which is an awesome marriage book. He said, um, now the Bible speaks of love. <laughs> it's not how much you're going to get, but it's how much you're going to give, right? So one person might say, I love you, but let's not ruin it by getting married. <laughs> you ever heard something like that before? I don't really need a piece of paper to tell me that I love you. Well, obviously, what that person is saying is, I don't want to close off all the you know, possibilities, all my options. I love you, but not that much, right? Well, they're saying, my love has not reached that marriage, that level of marriage commitment. And like I said, in the same way, you might say, well, I like the church, and I get a lot from it, but I don't want to formalize it. You know, I don't need a piece of paper to tell me that I'm a, a church member. It's kind of like, in a way, it's just kind of the same thing. Like, I have a pastor friend who always, who's told people before wants to be a regular tender, he says, stop dating the church and get married. Make a commitment. If you want to be here, make a commitment. And if you're worried about it, you know what I'm saying? Like, understand you're not going to know everything about your spouse when you get married. But there's a commitment. And make that commitment and, and join in um, because this is what God is calling you to. You just don't want to take that step. So formalize it, right? Formalize what's already an informal commitment. And, and make it visible. That's number two. 
When, with membership, when it's meaningful, it makes informal commitment visible so that the relationship can grow at a faster pace. And so practically speaking, I say, number one, join a church. Join a church and follow Jesus with other people who want to love and follow Jesus as well. And number two, invest in relationships. It's not, it's for your sanctification, like Ben said, but it's also so that you can help other people grow as well. Invest in relationships. And, and number three, love the whole church. Commit to the whole body. Now, like I said, you, you're not going to have, you're going to have deeper friendships with parts of the body than other parts of the body. We understand that is true. But also make an effort, and this is my encouragement to all of us, make an effort to get to know somebody that you might not normally know because of church, you know. I mean, if it wasn't for church, you wouldn't even know them. So get to know somebody today. Talk to somebody that you might not normally talk to, especially people that are part of the local church. Take the membership list and just email or text somebody on that list that you don't even know and or that you don't know very well or that you haven't seen in a while. Um, and make an effort to um, deepen those relationships and see the value of, like, enjoy being a part of a church. Enjoy the relationships that God has for you and invest in those relationships. And um, that's kind of uh, what I wanted just to cover as far as the, the breadth. I mean, uh, yeah, as far as the depth, the deepness. And then next week we're going to get into the, to the broadness, the wideness. But is there any comments or questions to wrap up our time? You know, it's almost like, um, well, it's already after.